Hello, welcome once again, everyone, into our uh, Truth Unveiled series. And uh, we're happy that the Lord has always been faithful and He has not failed us, not a single time. And His grace is always fresh every morning. And so, this uh, opportunity once again to share a portion of God's Word to one of the most, uh, <clears throat> I would say, practice that has not been uh, put back into the church. It's about the truth of women's veil. So we're gonna be veiling, or we're gonna be unveiling the truth about women's veiling. Okay. So we're happy about this opportunity to be uh, sharing this, and uh, it's very timely because uh, a lot of churches right now have uh, uh, he's not doing this practice anymore. So we will see what is uh, what will be our. Uh, resources speaker will be sharing to us this afternoon or this morning or this evening whatever time your this broadcast will be reaching you friends and brethren let me just do some uh, thing here there you go I put the logo and let's put our scroll bar so our topic is about women's veiling Unveiled. So for those who don't know me yet, my, my name is Brother Thomas Julius Salakup. I am the mission pastor of Christological Baptist Church here in Vallejo, California. I was ordained in July 1, 2017, if I'm not mistaken, but we've been doing the ministry since 2012. But it was only that time that my mother, church pastor, Pastor Bernard Salapu, came to the United States and I was presented to the mother congregation in uh, Novaliches, Quezon City, and they authorized our mission here. Our, our speaker is uh, one of my friends, he's all the way from the Philippines when they visited us and uh, helped us in the organization of the a lot of churches in the Philippines. And uh, I went to West Virginia also. I was able to meet him personally there with other fellowshipping churches. So we're we're happy to have him. And I would like to uh, put him now in our screen. And let's see. Let me pull you up. There you go. Now we can do both. Good afternoon, Brother Julius. <laughs> good afternoon. And uh, maybe good morning to some people who will be watching this. All Let's right. So this is Brother... I don't know, what's your name? Is it Matthew or Tim? Matt, Matt Steps, what I go by. <laughs> so you prefer to be called Tim? There's a long story behind that. It's not part of the broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's unveiling about Matthew Stepp. <laughs> well, a whole episode for that. <laughs> okay, but anyways. So, Brother Matthew here is a pastor of uh, Big Creek a Baptist Church in uh, West Virginia. And uh, he's also a contributor to uh, The Voice in the Wilderness. He has that uh, popular corner there, Sela. Think about it, which I also love to use, Sela. <laughs> and it's in the Bible. Uh, think about it. But, you know, uh, in the music, uh, we call it the pause or fermata. 
you have to pause and think about something. Yeah. And he's also a contributor to uh, the Berea Baptist Banner. You're still there, right? You're a part of the yeah, yep. questions and answers. Yeah. yeah. So, Yeah. He's, uh, he's one of uh, he's a very active uh, pastor as far as uh, our fellowship churches are concerned. So, so he's our resource person when it comes to the topic of uh, women's veiling and veil. There's a lot of uh, questions going on, a lot of uh, outs, a lot of uh, articles being written about this, and people do not. Uh, take this as a practice that needs to be reset in the New Testament churches. So, uh, Pastor, would you like to say something before we start? I just appreciate the opportunity to be be on here with you, and I do think it's a neglected topic, uh, but it's in the Bible. And uh, I've talked to a lot of young people that read the Bible and they come to this, and they say, well, what is this? I've never learned. They go to their pastors. And their pastors busy say, well, it doesn't mean this and it doesn't mean that. And they walk away. They still don't know what it means because nobody preaches it or teaches it anymore. And so I think it's an abandoned truth that uh, God will bless churches if you return to the head cover, return to the order in God's word. Yeah, I remember uh, when we came from we came from the Bible Baptist Fellowship and we were with a church in the Philippines that when he heard us doing this practice, uh, He leaned back on his swivel chair like this, and he said, mm, "You know what? I've seen churches in the states where I preach because he came here and preached. And he said, 'I've seen churches in the United States who got their women veiled, but we cannot implement that here because we will lose a lot of members.' I heard those words coming from his mouth. So, so it's really something that." Uh, In fact, in the Philippines, we're called the bellowship. <laughs> bellow, because, you know, we, we in, in the Philippine language, veil is bellow. So it's a bellowship. And, uh, of course, uh, it's something that is, uh, we're not mocking at those people who don't practice this. We do not say that they don't have authority either. It's just uh, a matter of, you know, preference as far as locality, if you decide to practice that or not, based on the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit. So... Amen. So I will take us now to uh, <clears throat> focus on this women's veiling and veil. All right. And let me put you up on the screen bigger. Oops, opposite. There you go. So, Pastor, what is in veils? This is our first question now. What is in veil that needs to be unveiled? I thought about that when you gave me that question to think about what needs to be unveiled. And I think for me, it comes down simply to what our church is missing out on if you're not doing the veil. And I think there's three things that churches are missing out on um, that they don't even know about it because they've never thought about it. But the first one, uh, just as I thought about my wife putting on her veil, uh, there's an intimate moment of submission to your master when the when the ladies are putting that veil upon that if you don't just, if your church doesn't practice the veil, you've never done it, you've never thought about it. But it's, it's a really an intimate moment when, and, and sometimes after a while, it's something like something that you might get used to, you might not think about it. But when you do think about it, why am I putting this veil on? Well, it's because the Lord asked me to, and because I want to serve the Lord. And it is an act of submission. I, as, as we get through this, I'd like for the ladies that are listening to this to realize it's a great privilege 
for you to be able to wear a head covering. It's not an onerous responsibility. Oh, I got to put my head covering. You get to, because of what it's pointing to is Jesus Christ. So the first thing you're missing out on, you're missing on on an important uh, and intimate moment of submission between you and your Savior. The second Mm -hmm. thing is that you're missing out on if you don't, that needs to be unveiled about the veiling, is that it's a sign of God's personal authority. Who does the veiling? Why well, his church does. It's his order that requires it. It's his Bible. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that's God's word. It's God's order. And so when you put that sign of authority, God's authority on his head, on your head as a woman, or when you take your hat off as a man, sometimes I think that's just as important that a man goes into service unveiled. You're recognizing, hey, I, I was over at Walmart, I was over here in town doing this, I was at work, but now I'm in God's house. And so this is a recognition just because he told me to do it. If there's no other reason that a woman should wear a head covering, it's just because the Lord asked you to. Mm-hmm. And then the, the third reason uh, that, that you would think about what are you missing out on is a recognition of God's truly awesome glory that would require a just as real veiling to cover your glory, to cover your beautiful blonde hair, brown hair, brunette, black, red, or whatever color your hair is. It's a recognition that something God gave you is wonderful and glorious, and you're covering that because for His glory and for Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 7, it says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. And that's why men take their hats off is because God created us in his image and the likeness of man created he him. And it glorifies God as we come in. As you see, that's a man that God created. But the woman is the glory of man. as what the scriptures say here. The apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. As you continue there in verse 8, it says in verse 10, it says, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. And I know, Julius, you and I talked about this a little bit, this glory. And I wrote a whole article about it, and maybe one of the papers will print it. Uh, it the, the glory is a real thing, isn't it? Remember Moses back in the wilderness? Yes, sir. And how he came off the mountain and his mm-hmm. face shone because he was been with God. Mm-hmm. If you, in, in that case, God allowed them to see us. A lot of like the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus Christ revealed himself and you saw his glory like mm-hmm. you before and then he put that veil back on the veil of his flesh is what it's called in hebrews and you couldn't see that glory but you know it's still there and so how real is that glory i think one of these days we'll be able to see it really really clear when the lord removes this veil of our flesh from us but that doesn't mean it's not there right now and so the woman that has that glory and the man that has that glory one of them glorifies god directly and one of them glorifies god they cover it with a real veil just like Moses had to put a real veil. It's not just a sign or a fake veil. Then mm-hmm. my face is veiled. He had to really put a veil on there. And so too, ladies should. And I think I you that if yeah. you don't have a veil on your church. Yeah, actually, I was uh, I was uh, thinking of that when you made the article. But we'll go to that later on in more, much detail. But uh, <clears throat> the 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 thing with the, the veil right now, it's... Uh, the reason why, just like what you said, the reason why some do not practice it, it's because they were never taught about it. 
That's right. That's right. You know, it could be that they haven't really heard about it. It's been they've been reading the Bible. You know, everybody reads the Bible, but but unless they do a digger a deeper digging into the scriptures, and they will not find this. We ourselves, when you know, when we grew up as a Catholic, we've been practicing veiling in the Catholic Church. Yep. In fact, when we started practicing veiling in our church at Novaliches, they, they said the, the, the things that the Catholic, uh, uh, what you call this, they abandoned the practice because a lot of women Catholics don't anymore wear veils. But the older generations, they still practice that. And so they were mocking at those churches who are practicing veil when we were introduced into this practicing of veil in uh, 1994 when Brother Cockrell came to the Philippines. And then uh, they told us that the things that the Catholics abandoned, the Baptists pick it up. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's how they were mocking us by that time. And uh, so it is something that is uh, probably they don't know it because they haven't been exposed to this. And that's why we're trying to put this broadcast. It might not be watched today. It might not be watched tomorrow, but it's already online. And anytime a person will try to Google something about this, the Lord might use this in order to open some, you know, future believers as far as the practice of veiling. And it's very important, as you said, you know, it's something that uh, uh, covers especially the glory of women. We're not mocking here those who are having chemotherapy. I, I, I work in a hospital. I've seen ladies who went through chemotherapy and totally they lost their hair. And it's so sad because of the chemical reactions. But yeah, but if you try to see them, deep in my soul, I would say she lost her glory. We know that. Well, and then, and two, that they, they, they feel that shame, but they, yeah, shouldn't, they shouldn't have to because they know the circumstances and God's in control of those circumstances. But you see, there is that shame there because they realize yeah. it's the gift of God. And then, you yeah. know, after they get well and it starts growing back, well, how thankful we ought, we ought to be that God is so merciful to us. That's true. So they, I know, I know that they feel it because the fact that they still put a handkerchief on their head after chemotherapy mm. they feel the embarrassment of losing the hair yeah. isn't it that is nature teaching us something oh yeah that's that naturally the hair is women's glory and the hair is a natural covering we'll get to that a little bit further here too also while we men if we go chemotherapy if we become bald we don't care yeah it doesn't bother me at all <laughs> I'm not referring at you, but it, we don't care because we know it's common for men to have some baldness, you know. But but women, it's it's affecting them emotionally, how they how they present themselves publicly. They put a covering, natural handkerchief, you know, if they would call it, because the natural hair is already gone. So I, I like I like that point that we are actually doing right now. So veiling is something that needs to be unveiled. And uh, I'm happy that uh, we are having this kind of, of a broadcast. Now, of course, now, okay, okay, okay. What there's veiling now? All right, I believe that we there must there is veiling in the scripture. The next question comes in now. Does veiling matter in the New Testament? Yeah, it matters to Baptists. 
um, about the other non-Baptist. <laughs> yeah, the Old Testament primarily written to God's people, although the Gentiles were somewhat involved in it. And there is veiling back there that we can get some pictures from. But the New Testament is primarily a book that's written by Baptists, for Baptists, and to make Baptists. I believe that with all my heart. I believe the Lord's Church is the primary source of wisdom in this world. And so if the Lord causes the Apostle Paul to try to straighten out the, the Corinthian church and spends half of a chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, speaking about the head covering, it's important to God, it's important to the Apostle Paul, it's important to this church, it should be important to my church, and it should be important to me. I think uh, the bride of Christ is going to be a Baptist bride, and uh, this veiling has the thought of that being a bride, of being submissive to our head. You know, that the men go in with their heads uncovered and the women go in with their heads covered is just obedience to God's word that we might be that virgin that's mentioned in 2 Corinthians that is prepared for the Lord, for a bride. Okay, that's good. Actually, when uh, when we had a lesson in our church about the first century practices, and you know, when the practice in the, in the, the scripture is if the groom loves a woman she finds a woman and uh, he fell in love with the woman what what he does is he asks the father of the girl mm -hmm. and then and then eventually when the father agrees that he will allow his daughter to be courted you know or being uh, wooed by the man and then what the woman does is she puts her covering and then Once, once the woman, uh, once the groom goes into the the room of the, the the girl, she would knock. He would knock on it, and then the the bride supposed to be will open the door, and then he will the groom will give the wine to the girl, and then the girl once she sips on that wine, that is a contract to them, an agreement that we already betrothed. It's just like uh, kissing through the glass of wine. That's why when Jesus Christ said in Matthew 26, he said, this blood is the New Testament in my blood. Take it, drink it, all of it. That is signing the betrothal period between him and the church. Now, as part of the practice of the woman in the Jewish culture, all the time that the groom is out for 12 to 18 months, preparing for the place, she will cover her face with a veil so that no other man can ever see her face again except the groom that she's been waiting for uh, there's a lot of beautiful pictures in weddings in there yeah that, that's a perfect a picture of the church covering herself with and of course if it's literal in the jewish practice and of course us as a church we should cover ourselves and how much more with the ladies of the church Since the, they, it says the Bible says that their hair is their covering too. A lot, a lot, a lot of beautiful pictures on the Jewish practice. So it matters in the New Testament as far as the veiling of the women is concerned. Now, isn't it that it is only symbolic? Is there what? Isn't it that it is only symbolic? What if I am wearing a veil, but then I am not submissive? Isn't it that hypocrisy? That, and I don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, that 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 is 
in every case. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about the veil, whether you're talking about baptism. Uh, somebody gets baptized and they don't really believe, is that baptism valid? It's not, is it? Um, mm -hmm. But in this case here, someone asked me if an unsaved person that's attending our services could wear a veil. I said, well, well sure. I mean, that's, uh, it's, well, it's an act of obedience, the veil is. And again, like you said, if somebody's living an unsubmissive life, they've got to work on those. And, and Lord willing, that the Holy Spirit will convict them and they will be submissive. But you, you wouldn't go up to them and say, well, I don't think you're living a submissive life, so you can't wear the veil in our church. It's not going to happen like that. It, mm -hmm. If it's an act of, if they're, if they're wearing the, the veil, then that too is one thing that might convict them when they're putting it on. The Holy Spirit might use that very moment to realize I have been giving my life to the Lord like I ought to. I haven't been submissive. Is this a hypocrisy for me to be doing this? And they would have those same thoughts that you have. And the Lord might even use that to draw them back to himself. And then how much more glorious every time they put that veil on is it going to remind them of how the Lord really is real and how he really is working in their lives. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, well, just like what you said, it can be applied to almost everything, not just failing. Yeah. You know, we go to church, you know, and uh, sometimes, we, yeah, we're not ready, but we just attend the church because chances are that the Holy Spirit will rebuke us yeah. and then we'll be ready. So, yeah, sometimes, yeah, it's a symbol, but uh, there's something in the symbol that somehow reminds us of our positioning. Yes. In God's sight. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Actually, one of that's one of those are that is one of the issues, you know. Well, yeah, they're 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 ladies, yeah, they're wearing verse, they go to church, but when they go home, their voice is louder than their husbands, yeah, da, 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 da. tattlers, you know, and everything like that. Of to, course, our, that to our shame, that's what it, it is a lot, you know. And there's a lot of folks that attend every service, and some just come on Sunday morning. Uh, should we kick them out of church? because they're not coming the other two services. No, we just pray that the Lord will use that one service that they're at there to remind them, hey, I need to start coming to Sunday night too. When the pastor mentions what he preached on Wednesday night, I missed that, and that the Holy Spirit would convict them. And th this head covering issue that we're unveiling here is further acts of submission that are supposed to, well, it's what it's meant for is to draw us closer to the Lord. It's not meant to mark out the women as second-class citizens or any of the things that you might mark. It's like everything else in our Christian life. It's meant to draw us closer to the Lord. It's meant to give God more glory and more honor. And that's that's all we do when we preach it at Big Creek Baptist Church here in Wayne, West Virginia. We just want everybody to have a closer walk with the Lord. And the Lord's given us this avenue. That's good. So that must be also emphasized that it's not to put down women, right? Because some people, oh, okay. But we, know, we do recognize that some women are really smart, smarter than us. Yep. You know, and sometimes they, they, they have a better perspective on some things that sometimes we don't see as men. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't mean that uh, they should not wear that veil no more. Do you have any idea when this uh, unveiling started? When and they took it out of the church? With the feminist movement in the late 19th century, in early 20th century, that's when a lot of this started. Uh, and, and a lot of times this is the first step after the women removes the head cover and then they start speaking in church, it becomes acceptable. And then after they start speaking in church, then they start teaching uh, Jezebel and the, 
in the church at Thyatira, and eventually they start preaching. And why is this? You see, it's a progression leaving God's order, but you see what it's doing is making men and women exactly the same. It's what the goal is. And this is the first step. You know what a head covering does? It makes men and women different. That's exactly the reason that the apostle Paul uses time after time, the man unveiled, the woman veiled. There's God wants a difference between the two, but Satan doesn't. He wants us to get to the point where we have mannish women, and womenish man, and in this generation, how we can see how far that will go to this transgender fluidity where people don't even know what they are anymore. That's in a body to God. But the first step, I believe the first step is when the Lord's churches start removing the head covering. Then you're walking down that road towards women getting out of their place in the church, men getting out of their place in the church, Pretty soon, nobody knows anything about what we're supposed to be doing. And it's anybody can do whatever they want to. And all of a sudden, it's not the Lord's church anymore. That's how far this will go. That's true. So it started first, you know, with the women's lip. We will be discussing that maybe sometime in the future about the history, historical vindication of uh, of uh, women veiling in the churches. So yes, it's symbolic, but it has to be worn literally. It doesn't matter whether you're a hypocrite woman, just like us. We are sometimes hypocrites too, but we have to do it because it is commanded. I had a lady in our church that started wearing the head covering because the preacher preached it. And she came to me several years later after I preached the message on it. She said, brother, I appreciate it so much. I've been wearing the head covering because I knew I was supposed to. But she says, now I can see why the scriptures command it. Now I see why it's so beautiful. And now you couldn't take the head covering away from me. You know, and, and that's... That started out with that first small step, that first step of obedience. Well, I don't understand it, but God says to do it. I'm going to do it. How many aspects of our life would that just be wonderful if we would just do that? I don't know exactly all the reasons why, but God says to do it. So I'm going to start doing it. And God will bless that. Just like our kids. I mean, we just tell them attend church. They don't know. Why are we attending church? You know, just tell them attend church because it's important. Then eventually they start to hear the gospel. They get converted, then eventually, oh, that's why my parents brought me to the church. They taught us their veils, and eventually they will understand it. Because God works in mysterious ways. Just do it anyways, even though it's a symbol. All right, very good. Even if deeper in the study, it's still going to come back to that circle. The head covering is simply an act of obedience to God. No matter how deep you get into it, that's what it comes down to, act of submission and obedience to our God. So that means if you don't do it, you are not obeying. Yep, you're in rebellion against God. And I'm in rebellion against God if I don't teach it. I know. That is hard to accept, especially if you know it already. I mean, if you don't know, it's okay. But if you know it already. It can be if, if the flesh is involved. Uh, it can be hard to accept. Why, why do I have to do this? But if the spirit's involved, it's easy. Mm-hmm. If you love the Lord... We are, you know, in our hearts, we're almost looking for another way to serve the Lord. And if you're listening today and you've never heard this head covering before, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and tell me what it says. And as, as you get to the end of it, ah, yes, another way I can serve the Lord. Another way I can glorify the Lord. This is wonderful. And I would hope the Spirit would, would lead that way. And you'd forget about the old flesh. Forget about Satan says and it's a, a burden or it's part of the law or whatever Satan might say. It's just another opportunity to glorify God. And if it's just a symbol, Paul would not write almost half of 1 Corinthians 11 dealing about this, right? So it must be something very important. 
The only danger, of course, they say is legalism. We are becoming legalistic on this. What can you say about that? Uh, well, I, th I think I covered part of that when I said the things that we do, uh, we do because we love. Uh, you can't really be called a legalist if you're a child and your parent tells you, now you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. Before mm -hmm. I get home, you better have that grass mowed. You better have those dishes washed. You better do this. And if you, if you follow the letter of the law on those, they don't really call you a legalist. You, you do it because you love uh, your parents. And the same thing, if we find something in scriptures, and you go in the Old Testament, that's where a lot of people do this. And they'll, they'll take part of the chapter and says, no, you don't do this anymore. And this part you do, you know, you really can't tell unless until you study and, and you look it through and see what Christ has fulfilled and what Christ has not yet fulfilled, what we're still responsible for. But this is New Testament. This is in the age of grace that the Apostle Paul says the man is to be unveiled and the woman is to be veiled. And I don't think you can say that's a legalistic thing if it's something that one of the Lord's New Testament churches is doing. I got a picture in the front of my our church that Brother Bill Morrison brought one of my, one of my deacons of a church that was celebrating 100 years. And it was a picture of 100 years ago in 1915 at a Methodist church in downtown Huntington. And there's about 50 women on the, the steps of the church and every one of them had a head covering on. You know, it's it's what God had required. And you know, that's not even a Baptist church. I, th I think you go back a hundred years and it's not just the Baptist all, you know, the Roman Catholics you were talking about, they were starting to ditch it too. Um, God's people knew uh, and they wanted to. And so uh, the legalism argument, I, I don't think it carries much weight when you're doing something because you love the Lord for it. You know, even, even, at, even at our Baptist churches, if it was a legalist problem, we would be hope, we'd be standing at the door and say, no, you can't come in unless you put this on. And we don't do that okay. at any Baptist church that I know of because it's, it's a personal submission each time each woman puts it on. And it's not really something that you can mandate from the pulpit. We can teach it, but yeah. eventually it's going to have to be something that each individual wants to do. That's right. Amen. All right. Now, this is another thing that is very commonly asked. Okay. All right. We accept now about veiling is not only symbols, but it's clearly saying in 1 Corinthians 11, 15, that the long hair is the covering. <laughs> Why push it as an artificial cloth on the women's head? What can you say about that, Pastor? Uh, I believe if you read it, you'll see that there's two head coverings. Uh, there's two coverings for the woman. Um, there's two, actually two Greek words are mentioned in the text. If you want to go into the Greek and you want to really figure out what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, you know, catechalupus is what's used when it's talking about being veiled or unveiled in the first uh, 13 verses. And uh, then para parabolion is the word that's used in verse 15 that you referred to, uh, that uh, the woman's long hair is the veil. And this lines up with the two institutions for the woman. When, when God created us, there's the institution of the family and there's the institution of the church. Mm -hmm. And God gave her a covering because she's the helpmeet in the family of her hair in the first place. And that's what verse 15 is talking about when it says, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her for her hair is given her for a covering. And God gave that to her. And, you know, in the natural order, the Apostle Paul even says, doth not even nature itself teach you as he gets into the last, last part. He's focusing upon nature, the natural institution of the family, as versus the 
public worship institution of the Lord's church in the earlier verses. And that's when he uses this word parabolion. And you can, you can get into the Greek and get down a little bit deeper. And uh, the catacalyptus, the, the very Greek tense of it, is something that you put on and you take off. The parabolion is not, is not that case. When he talks about the woman's natural hair, he uses a couple of words, a couple of Greek words, the kome and komao, that's not used anywhere else in the Bible when he talks about the long hair and it being an ornamental hair or long hair. Um, in the Greek, there's no question that the long hair is not the, the covering. I mean, if you know anything about the Greek, let me just say that right off. You have to want to change the writing of the word in the Greek. There's no problem. But I think in the English also, it's, it's in, 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 incontrovertible that uh, it's speaking about the head covering. Um, in the first verse number six, in first Corinthians eleven six, it says, For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now just that phrase there, if a woman be not covered, now if you believe the long hairs are covered, what does that mean? That means she's got short hair or no hair if she's not covered. The Apostle Paul says, If she be not covered, let her be shorn. How are you gonna shear or cut somebody's hair short if it's already short? It just doesn't make sense in the English. It says, mm -hmm. if, if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. And it's speaking about, and kind of catacalyptus, it's talking about an additional covering to be put on there. And so I think whether you're talking about English or whether you're talking about Greek, uh, it doesn't matter. If you, you just the KJV will tell you that it's a different covering in the first part of the chapter than there is in the second part for the two institutions, the natural institution, the long hair, and that makes her different from the man. Again, that's the key, different from the man, not from other women, but from, from the man. And then when you go in the Lord's house, she puts a covering on, he takes his off again to make it different in the public institution. And it can't be the long hair because you can't take the long hair on and off. If you can do it, it's, it's gonna take time to let it grow. Yeah. Because somebody just cut it, you know, cut it for today, but it takes weeks for that long hair to be growing again. So it's. Literally, it's not something you can t take it off and on in an instant, just unlike the artificial covering that uh, is being taught there. And the fact that it was used two Greek words there, through two Greek words, that already should uh, make already some uh, thinking. Why he, he should he should have just used katakolupte all the way to verse fifteen? Yep. But he didn't use it. He changed he, he Greek words. And it also, but, is, yeah, go ahead. There is given her for a covering, not the covering. And that's an important distinction to make too. The covering he's been talking about, he'd, he would he would use the word the. The long hair is the covering. If he was wrapping up his arguments, but he's not. He says it's a covering, not the covering. Like and, uh, a a foot that was given for a shoe. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was I, given to an an, no. an earring for her ears. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, these are things that you can put on and take off. And to cover your glory of your long hair is what the whole purpose of the first chapter was, uh, of the first half of the chapter. It's something that you can put on it to cover it. And then when you go out, it is the covering that you would have in the world and in your home. Yeah, that, that's actually uh, one of the arguments that they say. It's already, you don't have to worry about veiling because it says there clearly, as clear as the sun, it says it is the long hair that is the covering. So, but if you study the Greek word, you gotta wind up. English, it says it is a covering. 
And that, yeah. that's an important distinction to make also, because it doesn't say it's the covering. It says it's a covering, which means there's multiple coverings. That's right. I didn't realize that. Okay. The, the next, the next I want to read verse 15 and 16 together just to make one more point. It said, woman have long hair. It is a glory to her. You know, obviously not, not glory to God, it doesn't say. A glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. And then he finishes up this. He says, but if any, and the word man is actually supplied there in the, in the text. And I think if you want to understand this, you almost want to read that woman because that's what it's talking about. A woman have long hair, it's glory to her. It says, but if any woman or man, it says in the scriptures, but if any seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. This is not an option that the woman can be contentious. Well, I don't want to do it. The Apostle Paul says, we have no such custom of women just going out and doing whatever they want to be, being contentious. And it's important for us to understand that's what he's talking about there in verse 16. He's yeah, they're using that verse. No custom. Using it's a custom of being contentious. Yeah. Churches are united. Tertullian wrote a, a track, one of the first tracks that was still kept intact in right around the year 200, which is just, you know, 150 years after the Lord. And he wrote a tract about the head covering and the women being being covered. And in that track, he said, go back to Corinth. Because, you know, I can't do that right now. The church of Corinth is not there anymore. But in 200, it was. He says, go back to Corinth there. And the virgins veil themselves just as much as the married women do. And you know, if you want to take, a, uh, I always say this, if you want to take a time, take a spaceship and take a time trip back to see how things were, maybe we might understand a lot better. Well, you can do that by reading what the men of God have written in the ages gone by. Charles Spurgeon said, look around in your church building at all the covered women. It's because of the angels, he said. I mean, how many Baptist preachers do we got to pull up before you realize, hey, this is the way the Lord's churches have always functioned. And the Big Creek Baptist Church functions that way. I like that. I like that uh, the Tertullian thing uh, that he he had that track. And do you still have that? Do you have a copy of that, or you just made a research on that? I've done some research, and I've got excerpts from it in my uh, in, in some of my tracks I've got, and and also in the article that I wrote that the Voice in the Wilderness printed on the head covering. But I've got that. If anybody wants a copy of those tracks or those articles just let me know and uh, i'll send it to you and you can see all the information that we have there okay that's cool and i like the emphasis the thing you emphasize that because they say oh it says uh, if you are contentious then we have no such custom they don't practice it no more it's good that you emphasize that the the contention is the thing that is being taught by paul not to be contentious as far as our practice because the church must be united when it comes to the teachings of God's word. Church ought to be in one accord, ought it? Yeah, one mind, one accord, one unity, especially this church in Corinthians. There has been a lot of issues about, about unity there. And uh, that's one of the reasons why they say, okay, he said, Paul said, if you, if issues, then forget about veiling. That shouldn't be right. <laughs> but you think about it. And the Apostle Paul later on says in verse 19, he says, For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Those that are actually following me, you can see the difference. And I thought about that. You know, if this church had not been having problems with the head covering, the Apostle Paul would have never wrote this first half of the chapter. And we would have just assumed along God provided this 
even those women that were being contentious and their husbands that were being contentious along with him, he provided this that the Apostle Paul would have an issue to write to this church so that the Christological Baptist mission there in Vallejo would have information and know how to that, how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. Amen. All right. Now, isn't this pastor a cultural thing only? I've heard a lot of people that think it is. And you know where they go to get their information? Not the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never had one of them go to the Bible to tell me that it's a cultural thing. Just consider Paul's arguments for the veil. Are Paul's arguments cultural or are they doctrinal? In 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11, verse number 7, um, even as the Apostle Paul contrasts this, he says, The man indeed ought not cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. He goes back to Genesis chapter 1. That's right. Not, not a cultural thing. He says, But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, a sign of authority on her head because of the angels. If the Apostle Paul's arguments were, were cultural, then you might have something to go on, but he never does. First thing he does, he argues the creation of man, then woman. And then the second thing he says, doth not nature itself teach you? He goes, that nature hasn't changed either. The women still have long hair and the men still have short hair. And every argument that he brings is based upon doctrine, Bible. It's not based upon culture. Whether there's prostitutes in the Corinthian temples or not. Big fat hairy deal as far as I'm concerned. What does that have to do with the Bible? And what does it have to do with the church of Corinth? A lot of those are doing the cultural. They're comparing women to women. But the Bible says the head covering is not to distinguish from saved women and lost women. It's to distinguish between men and women. And that's how it's always juxtaposed, the head covering. Never in the same gender, but always cross, uh, uh, juxtaposed between a man and a woman. That's true. And those who believe that this is only cultural, yet they preach in their churches that women should have long hair and men should have short hair. They're using the same chapter. So how come when it comes to the long hair of women and men having short hair, it's not cultural, you know? <laughs> If you're going to pick and choose, you can make anything cultural, can't you? Yeah, cherry picking. That's what the Pharisees had done with their washings. And uh, they thought John's baptism was just another washing. Well, it was, it was quite a bit different, wasn't it? All right. So it's not something cultural. And uh, now, of course, this is another question, Pastor. Uh Yes, okay, it's okay, veiling. How come you have different sizes of veiling? Is Does it matter? Would any veil work, regardless of size and length? Just like I told you, when we were starting this in the Philippines, one pastor came to our church and he said, what if I just put a soda crown here or a soda lid? It's too small. Is that okay already? So what can you say about that? Um two things and then I'll kind of get into that and that, that's a, a, a good argument there and the fact that it plays right right into what I was thinking of that the veil should be number one large enough to cover your glory that's what the Bible says it's for is to cover her glory and number two it should be visible enough uh, a visible sign of her submission Um, back in Luke chapter 7, when the Lord was in the house of the Pharisee, and you remember the woman that came up behind him that uh, anointed his feet and was washing his feet with her hair, by the way. 
Uh, her right. um, the, the Simon was thinking all along, man, this, if the Lord knew who this woman was, he'd kick her out. She's a sinner. And, and the Lord said, I have somewhat to say to you, Simon, back there in that passage. And he told him about someone that owed him 50 and somebody that owed him 500. And he said, he frankly forgave them. And he said, who's going who's gonna to love me most? And he says, well, I guess the one that you forgave 500 for. And the Lord mm -hmm. said, you've judged right. Mm -hmm. And he said, this woman, uh, since I've come in, has not stopped. And he, he talked about the different ways that she loved him, that she anointed him. She washed his feet. She, she loved him. And this woman that loved much is forgiven much. And the one that did not love much was forgiven little. Now, if, you, if you think that through, uh, and this man, he thinks that she's a great sinner, but he doesn't realize his sin. And so he thinks he don't have to do that much. But she knows she's a sinner. And she knows she wants to do as much as she can. So the answer to your question, does it matter the length? It doesn't matter what size the veil is. It's up to the individual person. Each person will put a veil upon their head according to their conviction. And if you've only got a little bit of conviction, there might be just a little thing on there that you might have to look twice and see because, you know, she doesn't want nobody to see it. I thought uh, there's a lady in our church. She passed away right before I got there. It's uh, Sister Carol Fry's mom, Louise Edwards. And uh, they would bring some of her hats that she used to wear to church. And, and the other ladies had, you know, some of them wanted them or not, or just look, look at them. And she had feathers and ribbons and lace and different things in her hats. And I thought about it. It kind of reflected her personality. And she, personal worship will do that. And that's what the veil is, is personal worship. Some will don a simple lace head covering that won't attract too much attention. It'll cover, but it's not meant to attract attention necessarily, in her opinion, because she wants to give the glory to the Lord. And, but, you know, Sister Louise did the same thing with her more ornamental ones. She said, look at my God. I'm putting this on and I love my God. That's essentially what it comes down to. When you want to know how big to put the veil on, it's up to you. How much do you want to veil? How much do you want to glorify God? This is your personal worship. How loudly do you want to sing? You know, how much scripture, if you're a guy, do you want to stand up and read? Or uh, how uh, desirous or you can't wait till it's my next turn to teach or whatever in every aspect of our life it's personal worship and personal worship will dictate how big your love is how big your faith is and what kind of head covering you wear it's a, I, I don't it, it doesn't matter to me what size head covering my wife wears it's up to matters to her and whatever she wants to wear that's fine with me and the same thing well, with ideally, ideally if the purpose is to cover our glory, oh, the women's glory, it should be enough to cover her hair. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose of that. Yep. Of course, just like what you said, it depends on how she worships God personally. She loves God, depending on the her obedience. Yeah, and some of the, the, the ladies that wear the hats, that does a perfect job of covering everything. You can see the tufts of hair out the side, but that's not a problem. That Everybody can see that you're, you're covering. And someone that wears just a lace across the top, you know, that that's covering everything between her and the Lord. I don't have no problem with that. Some of them want to wear a long one that's covering all on the side if they have their hair down or if they've got their hair up. And again, that's what it comes back to. It? It's every woman's different. And every woman's head covering is going to be different because of that. And I you got to do this, you got to do that. 
hey, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that's just submit yourself to the Lord. <laughs> and the Bible says there must be a symbol. A symbol. Yeah, of authority. So, all right. Another question, Pastor. Why only the church? Well, we've covered this a little bit already uh, in the fact that we know there's two coverings. There's the natural head covering, which is the hair, which is in, for the family. And as, as she's a, a wife, as she's a mother, as she is a sister, an aunt, she's a neighbor, all of these things in the world, she's got a covering for when she's out in the world. But when she comes to the church, that's what this chapter is about, is that additional covering that you would put on your head. Why? Because you're coming before your God. And you're coming to church. It's a place of public worship. In fact, that's how the apostle Paul starts that off. He says, every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, which is her husband or her father or ultimately her God. And it's when she's praying and prophesying. And that's what the Bible says here when she comes to worship. And that's how 1 Corinthians chapter 11 starts off. Uh, and the latter part of the chapter is speaking about the Lord's Supper. And they're kind of tied together, keeping them different from the traditions of the previous chapters. Um, I'm envious of women sometimes. You know, when I come into church and people look back and they'll see me and I've got my bare head, well, all the guys come in like that. But you know, when my wife comes in and, and it's a church that may be aware of the head covering, may not be, maybe somewhere in between, and they see her and she's got a hat on her head or a veil on her head, wow, she gets to do that for the Lord. And everybody knows immediately there's a godly woman. Now, if she'd come in without that, my wife's a godly woman. There's a godly woman anyway, but they don't know it as easily as when you're in submission to the, and, and, and that's part of the reason I think that the Lord gave that for us in church, that we would be in this arena of worship, that we have this sign of authority where she's covering her glory. Don't let your glory shine. In fact, as I thought about it, you know, a lot of times if, if we would just take our physical eyeglasses off and put our spiritual eyeglasses on, and you see your wife, is there an aura of glory over her? Absolutely. God says there is. God says her hair is a glory. And, and you know, as we study in the Old Testament, New Testament life, the glory of God is a light. It's, 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 sometimes it's a cloud, the Shekinah glory of God. It's a real thing that Moses, his face shone. Why? Because of the glory of God that he was just soaking up. And so I almost see that as a woman walks out of Big Creek Baptist Church and she takes her head covering off the angels where there wasn't no sign of glory before. And then they, she walks out of that church building and all of a sudden she starts glowing. It's her glory that God's given her for that purpose. I understand that. And then when she comes back in, just right before she comes in, if she puts it on then, sometimes she puts it on the house, you can see her cover her glory and go inside and give all the glory to God. That's why there's two. And that's why it's church. Actually, uh, that's uh, one of the things I missed earlier in point number three about the article you wrote. Something like uh, in the article you wrote that in the Old Testament, Moses, you already mentioned about this. He did not put a symbolic veil on his face in order to cover the glory because of the Shekinah glory that he had with God. And this, like that. <laughs> yeah, he did, but he really put a veil. And then in uh, in the Ark of the uh, Covenant, you mentioned something like that. Can you expand more on that on that same thing? Principle of veiling on the Ark of the Covenant. 
to separate the holiest of holies, right. the, the holy section of the tabernacle, what do you have there? You have a real veil. That's and a, a veil really covers. I mean, that's what it's for when you talk about the covering over the ark and all that. But there, there was a veil that hung between the holy, where you have the uh, uh, articles that were in the tabernacle, that the table of showbread, the candlestick, they're out there in the holies. And then there's a veil because behind that veil is where God's glory is going to be. You know, and we talk about the Shekinah glory of God and how it appears in the New Testament, particularly to designate his people, you know, and when the day of Pentecost, the Shekinah glory of God comes down on his people. It comes down in Samaria there in chapter number eight to designate these Samaritans are my church too. And then chapter number 10, it comes down the Gentiles are my people too. And then the last time it happens is in Acts chapter 19, when these 12 men are rebaptized by from Apollos baptism, which wasn't any good because it came from John. Not, it wasn't John's baptism. And then Paul baptized him into the Antioch Baptist Church. And then the kind of glory of God comes down again. So it's a real thing that we're talking about. That's why we need a real veil on the women's head because glory is real to God. And it's real to the angels. And that's, and that's the reason why in verse number 10, the Apostle Paul says, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head. Uh, veil we're talking about because of the angels. They can see that glory. It's a real tangible thing. It was tangible enough that when Solomon dedicated the uh, temple, the Shekinah glory of God came out. It ran the people out of the temple. And they couldn't come in until it was lifted up again. Same thing with the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. It's a real thing, glory is. Yeah, and the transfiguration. Yep. Remember that three disciples. Yeah, I they mean, didn't look at Jesus Christ until you know there was the cloud again. That cloud came down and it knocked them on their feet. You know, they they were just face down, fearful. And then when it lifted up, then they looked up and saw Jesus Christ, and wow, what glory! What glory! But the bottom line here is, if God looks at uh, uh, the glory. The, the, I mean, the seriousness of God's glory must be covered. And he knows that. He can see it. Now, the fact that the Bible says that the hair is women's glory, it must be covered. That's that's the bottom line. That's what the bottom line is. Do you want to bring glory to yourself or, or even to your husband? Or do you want to bring glory to God? That's what the head for. When I was in your article about that, that's it's my first time to see that kind of uh, point of view. And I said, wow, this is really a deep thinking writer. <laughs> that deep Bible. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the author. Yeah, okay. I, I would like, before we finish up, and I know we got at least one more point, to thank uh, Brother Norman Malaris. Uh, uh -huh. I never actually got to see his presentation that he went back in history and proved it, but inspired me to do my study inspired me to do this research and i don't think i'd be at the point i am without him so i just wanted to give him a shout out there uh, brother norman oh, that's good amen all right what if uh what if you wear a veil but with a short hair isn't that consistency <laughs> she's got one covering but not the other yeah <laughs> yeah uh, we, must, we have ladies like that yeah the if it's the personal choice of the woman to have short hair, um, 
again, just preach the word and hope that the, the Lord will uh, prick her heart, as is mentioned. And, and she realizes that it's shame and it's an act of rebellion against the clear word of God. Uh, the natural institution of the family should be important both to long-haired men and short-haired women. You know, both of them. And you know, the, in the '60s, I guess the biggest picture that came out of the '60s in this time of rebellion and free love and all that was hippies. Not necessarily the women cutting their hair short, but the men wearing their heads long. But it's the same premise that you're talking about here. That man is in rebellion against God, and preach the gospel to them, love them, tell them God's, you know, you don't have to say, man, man, get rid of that hair or you can't be saved. That's not the point. But once they get saved, once the Lord saves them and touches their heart, they'll cut the hair themselves. And I think with the women are the same way. Maybe it's always she's already saved and I don't have, you know, but if she's lost and doesn't know any better, once she's saved, then she'll, I'm going to let my hair grow out because it's the glory to God uh, in the institution of the family. If she's saved, she still has to have her heart pricked and realize God wants a difference between me and my husband. We, I don't, I don't want to look alike. I don't want to be a, a mannish woman and a man ought not want to be a womanish man. Uh, you can see how far that goes step by step until you get to the transgender and you get to homosexuals and lesbians and, and all of this women acting like men. That's what this guards against. You know, baptism guards the Lord's church and makes the church pure. You can't be a member unless you're baptized. And and baptism, and when you want to come from another church and you want to join the church, well, you got to get baptized. I don't want to be baptized. Well, then you can't be a member of the Lord's church. See, it guards the church from goats. It guards the church from unfaithfulness, even. The Lord's Supper does that also, you know. And discipline in the Lord's church will happen if we stray and if we're not following the Lord, if we're disobedient. All of a sudden, the church has to get together and discipline you. So you see these ordinances protect the church. So too does the head covering. It protects the church from the women and the men from becoming the same and blurring the distinction of God's order between them. God has a purpose for men. God has a purpose for women. And it's seen and it's, it's exemplified here in the head covering. Okay, I understand. I can't talk in church. I can't be a preacher. That doesn't make me a second-class citizen. It's just how I get to glorify God. And like I say, in a lot of ways, I'm envious of women, of their opportunities to glorify God. And you get the opportunity for your husband to put you up on a pedestal. Certainly the Lord does that. The Lord values godly women in a way that I think a lot of time we overlook that. I was uh, watching a movie about uh, folks that have been saved in the New Testament in different aspects, and it just seemed like it's so much easier for a woman to be saved than a man. I know I'm speaking from the flesh. God saves who he will in the doctrine of election. But there's just so much men, we hold so much esteem or logic or whatever, but a woman's heart flows freely towards the Lord. And I think the Lord does that on purpose. And one of those ways that it flows freely, I want to wear the head covering. You know, back in the 1800s, when the women's liberation movement first started, and there's a lot of women that were out marching the streets, wanting the right to vote, 90% of the women did not want that right to vote. It wasn't their place, and they knew that. But those 10% are kind of like the gays and the queers in our time that are pushing a lot of agendas. Actually, it's less than 10%, I don't know, it might be that 10% by now. But they're pushing an agenda that the rest of us don't want to go along with. We gotta stand up. And right now is our opportunity to stand for the head covering. 
Right now is our opportunity to stand for baptism, like you talked on last night. Stand for God's word, and God will bless us. And God will bless women that wear the head covering. That must be the goal of every child of God. I got another question here. Last question. Uh-oh. Uh, you already answered this. If a woman doesn't veil, are they missing something? Oh, yeah. Um, what a wonderful opportunity to draw. Again, I, I want to mention this again because it always struck me that the head of verse number three, mm-hmm. I never read that. I'm glad you asked that question. He says, but I would have you know, the Apostle Paul's writing, that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And a lot of times when I start preaching, I can't get past that last one. The head of Christ is God. Wow. Aren't they the same? Aren't they one? But yet Christ submitted himself to God for a season to glorify God. The men don't have that opportunity. Everybody's supposed to submit to Christ, men and women alike. But the women have a unique opportunity to submit like Christ did. Christ, in all his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, what did he do at the end? He closed that veil again, submitted himself, nothing special, as they, they looked at him. Nothing special on the outside, but he's special on the inside, isn't he? A woman has that opportunity. Every time she goes to church, nothing special. Here, put your head covering on. The special's inside, isn't it? And that's why they have the opportunity to do that. Men don't get to do that. We just walk into church and walk back out and nobody knows. But that woman has an opportunity to be like Christ, to be Christ-like, to cover her glory. That's a nice uh, observation on that. And they're missing something, a lot actually. Mm-hmm. Of course, we do not say that, because they might say, oh, these veiled people, uh, maybe they think of us as not anymore a true church. Yeah. Or not, I don't wear veils, veil anymore safe. We, we are not like that, okay? We believe that it is always a blessing if a woman, the same thing in every Christian, if a, a Christian follows God's will, there is always a blessing. Yep. And there is always joy. God, and, God, God will shower blessings upon Christians, men and women alike, that love his law, that obey his word. Okay, Pastor. Any parting words that you can say with regards to our topic? I appreciate your opportunity you gave me to do this. When you first asked me to come on and, and, and be interviewed with you, I was, I'm not that techie kind of guy. But when you told me it was the head covering, the Lord just all of a sudden just gave me a peace and a blessing. Yeah, I want to do that. I want to, I want to talk about the head covering. I want to show people what a blessing it is, what a wonderful thing it is, and, and, and how it's an opportunity for us to glorify God that we wouldn't have otherwise. If there is a, if there is a pastor that... Uh... I've been reading more about the veil. It's you. <laughs> Articles that were written by you. <laughs> so I was thinking, since veil uh, is also a timely topic, you know what I'm saying? It's a, a very relevant one, something that is being set aside right now. Uh, sadly, even among Baptist churches. Okay, so they take it out. So, but so I think it's it's time for us to, you know, just like what you said, we need to stand up. It's got to okay. be one of your series because your series is called Unveiling. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be always there. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, so we we do not make this as an attest of fellowship, of course, among among Christian churches, among Baptist churches here. And uh, 
we just respect those churches who also do not practice the same way we practice it. But of course, we just we're just doing our share as Baptist churches who believe this, who are who's whom we believe also that it is a. Of course, primarily it is a biblical practice, and then a historical practice as well. Amen. And be our part two, Lord willing, when it comes to our uh, women's veiling and veil. So we thank you, Pastor Timstep, for uh, joining us in our program here. I hope uh, this somehow will be a tool of God in others who haven't heard it, maybe, or who are on, in contemplation yeah. whether to teach Pray this or not. You know, yeah. God's will not return unto him void. If it is biblical, it's going to accomplish what God has purposed it to be doing. So we just praise God for that. All right. Thank you, Pastor. I'll let you go for now. And uh, I will just wrap up our program for today. God bless you, brother. See you later. Love you. you. Love you. Too. Get better. Thank you. So, friends and brethren, so uh, that is uh, about our uh Truth about veiling, women's veiling. And just like what we said, we do not make this as a, a test of fellowship. We believe this practice is something that is in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And as we can see, it's biblical. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. Just like us before, we were reading 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, the only thing that we were uh, believed there is on verse 15, that the long hair is the covering. But if you try to study deeper on this, two Greek words were used, katakalupto, and then in verse 15, prebulayon, which is something uh, not the same that is being discussed. And uh, and uh, just like what Brother Matthew Stepp pointed earlier, the glory of God, God is taking His glory seriously. And we cannot stand on his glory. That's why there's a literal veil that he always put, just like Moses. And then, you know, in the in the Ark of the Covenant, okay, we can see that uh, there was a, a, a veil between the holy place and the most holy place. So God is taking his glory seriously. Now, he gave that glory also to the women by their hair and, of course, the long hair. That's why women must wear that head covering in order to hide that. There's nothing really special about it. But deep inside, just like Brother Matthew said, deep inside, you are glorifying God because you are covering your glory. So I hope uh, this uh, somehow gave you an understanding of what we practice as a church. And uh, I hope uh, if you've been blessed by this uh, uh, program, I want you to share this. Maybe God will use this in order to open up some minds when it comes to uh, the practice of veiling in the New Testament churches. So until next time, once again, this is Brother Thomas Salagup at your service in um, doing this Truth Unveiled series. So until next time, once again, I'm going to temporarily... Uh, go for now let me just put this on screen okay until next time bye bye for now